Now let's take our Bibles and open them to James chapter 1 and let's stand together. As I read verse 16 through 18, let's pray. Now, Father, bless this word and the preaching of it, the explanation of it. Let it pierce our hearts. Let it fill our minds, Lord. Let it shape the way we live and walk. Let it shape our homes, our families, our children, our marriages. Let it shape this body, this church. Lord, let us come in contact with you through your word. Let us see you by faith. And Lord, let us experience what it means to be revived and corrected and, Lord, put upon the path of righteousness. Where we have been deceived, Lord, bring light. Where we need correcting, Lord, bring the truth. And, Lord, above all things, as we yearn and long for you, fill us, fill that desire for you up, Lord, with yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His Creatures, and thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, like I said, the topic of this morning's message is self deception. Self deception. Now, we may not be deceived this morning, we may be very aware of our situation, of our condition, spiritual condition. We may be very aware of how things have uh, had an impact on us. And we've got a handle, if you will, on our faith and on our Bible study and on our prayer life and on our walk with God. And that's a good thing. But it's also possible that we may be deceived about some things. Now, James is not writing this in order to fill up space. James more than likely had pastored many of these people in Jerusalem. They've now been dispersed in God's providence. And James is writing to them because he knows them. He's familiar with them. He's aware of the temptation that, is, uh, that they are subject to. And he has possibly, through word of mouth or through a witness, that they, he's heard about those brothers and sisters blaming God for their condition and sin. Now James writes, and he's already given us a commandment not to blame God for our own sins, but now he gives us a warning. The warning comes right there in verse 16 where he says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It's important to note that James is speaking to Christians, those who profess to believe in God, in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, those who walk according to truth, in the light of God's Word. And it's important that we too look at this warning and ask ourselves, is it possible, probable that I have in some ways been deceived through hard circumstances or 
anything else in my own life? Do I have an accurate assessment of my spiritual condition? Now that plays a role in true religion. Now true religion is the theme of the book of James. James writes in order to help us understand true religion as opposed to false religion. True piety over against what is false piety. True faith over and against a false faith. Now that's why James writes the book. He gives us practical examples and exhortations and commandments. He attaches to those commandments promises that God gives to those who would follow and keep those commandments. Now we need to take to heart the warning this morning. Now let's take to heart the warning this morning. Do not be deceived. Well, what is this deception? What is it? If we're going to assess our condition, if we're going to make an appropriate assessment of where we are spiritually, certainly we need to know what self-deception is. Well, the word means, in the original, it means to go astray. It means to go astray. It's the idea of leaving the place where you belong and straying from that place. Now, the word literally is used to describe livestock that strays from its corral. Or, uh, you know, a, a sheep that would stray from its flock. That's a literal idea of the word. But yet the word is used in a figurative sense here. James uses the word because he is aware that in these circumstances and through the temptations that they have brought themselves into, it is very likely and probable that many of them have become self-deceived. They have left the place of truth, the abode of, of, of God's worship and presence, and they've gone astray from it. And James calls that self-deception. He calls it deception. And of course, the idea here is that they have allowed themselves to be led astray. Now, it's one thing, beloved. Now, he's already dealt with this, this where do these, where does this temptation, where do these evil desires come from? Where do they come from? They come from within, don't they? And that's what James wants us to know. He says these desires, that is this temptation, this desire to exercise some form of sinfulness, envy, bitterness, hatred, any type of lust, greed, anything like that, well, it comes from within. The idea is that those desires lead us astray because we're not to be an angry people. We're not to be a greedy people. We're not to be an envious people. I mean, you think about God's moral commandments and we can find right there where these, these admonitions James gives to us, we can see how he's just bringing these commandments to light in the life of God's people and then we break them. We're not to covet. We're not to lust. 
We're not to desire and, and crave and want those things that don't belong to us. And we're not to sin to have them or get them. And when we do that, we are deceiving ourselves and we're going astray and we are fostering self-deception, thinking that somehow these things or this practice or this person or this, this, this idea my new group of friends are somehow going to bring fulfillment to my life. That's self-deception. Brothers and sisters, when we believe that something's going to fulfill us and make us happy when God's Word teaches contrary to it, we are deceived. We're deceived. That's the idea here of deception. I hope you can understand it. In fact, um, turn with me to uh, Matthew 18. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture as we go along. Hopefully it enhances your understanding and ability to assess yourself. Self-deception. And you're going to see this in a literal sense. Matthew 18, verse 12 through 14. But I want you to point out it's a sort of a spiritual application here. The Lord Jesus is teaching here and he says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, there's your word, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Now, obviously the Lord Jesus is using the analogy of sheep in order to speak about the church and the, the possibility and probability of one sheep going astray. Now, what does Jesus teach us here? That when that one goes astray, what does He do? He goes in search for it. To find it. To do what with it? To bring it back. Back to where? Where it belongs. You got that? Now it's important that we make these right connections because we have to work through a lot of error in our day. We have to weave in and out, if you will, of a lot of the modern Christian mindset that plagues us today in radio and TV and in many of, the, of these churches that teach uh, an idea of grace that's not biblical at all or salvation that is not biblical. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. So the first thing we've done is we've, I've given you a definition of what this deception is and I've shown you that it's important to note that it's not only a straying from, but it's a straying from a place. Children go astray. What are we talking about? They go astray from the home. Right? They go astray from the, the teachings and the virtues and the morality of their home. And I will just assume that it's all good. And the children leave that environment and they go astray to forge their own path, their own set of rules and reality, their own set of morality. That's going astray. Church members can go astray. 
From what? From their church homes. The, the doctrine, the teaching of the historic Christian faith. They can go astray from the leadership and accountability of their elders and leadership. From the love and the safety of God's people where they are loved, prayed over, and encouraged. We can go astray from that. And to come back from that or to give up our deception is to do what? Come back to those places of safety. Is to come back to those places where that truth is taught, where it is promoted, where it is held up high, where all are to come up under it. The second thing I want to bring out in our passage this morning is the context of this true religion. James makes it clear that self-deception is a straying from true religion. Look with me at the text and let's read from verse 19 and following. James writes, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Now look at that last statement. Who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the, of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a, an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be a religious, to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is what? Worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now let me, I think the words speak profoundly clear in and of themselves, don't they? But let me just, just make a few comments about it. And that is in verse 27, the Lord, uh, James is not saying, well, all you need to do is visit orphans and all you need to do is, is visit widows and there's your religion. That's not what James is saying at all. James has already established that we look into the word of truth. He's already established the, 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 the first principle of religion is truth. Without truth, what do you have? See, works that are not built upon the truth, well, they're deceiving. A man or a woman can do things for all the wrong reasons and motivations and go to hell doing them. That's what, James, that's what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians. Now, James is implying, he's understanding, he's already understood that if we take what God says about the orphans and the widows and we come to aid them with that, in their distress. Notice what he goes on to end it with. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. How are you going to keep yourself unstained by the world? How are you going to do that? How are you going to wash your soul? How are you going to wash your soul when you've been infected with, with the kind of music and song and, 
and, and those movies that tend to pollute one's soul and heart and mind. How are you going? To, how are you going to cleanse yourself? Well, turn with me to Psalm one nineteen, and then I'm going to show you. Well, there's only one way to cleanse yourself, and there is no other way. If you don't wash yourself in the Word of God, you're not washed. You're still dirty. Imagine coming in from the outside and from playing or from doing some work on the cars. And, you know, I mean, if you picked up grease to wash grease off your hands, you're not getting clean. Well, look at verse 1 of chapter one, uh, Psalm 119 says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek them with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes, and then I will not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with an up." Rightness of heart. When I learn of your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Now, brothers and sisters, that's how you keep yourself pure. That's how you wash your soul. Just as you use water and soap to wash your skin and your outward person, you're to use the Word of God to wash the inner man. Let's look at, um, well, there's a couple more comments in the context of true religion. I think it's important to recognize here that this idea of self-deception It's possible, isn't it? We can be deceived. We can be deceived about religion. Why do you think there are so many false religions out there? False religions have as their goal and purpose to deceive others. And those who believe it are the deceived. And then they go about doing what? Deceiving others. Isn't it interesting how if I were to listen, and if you were to listen to a Mormon or even a Jehovah Witness to their testimony, it sounds very much like a Christian. And here's how. When I became a Mormon, my life changed for the better. That's what they'll tell you. I've had them tell me that. And you know what? I believe them. They're they're deceived. They believe that. When I became a Jehovah Witness, my life became better. I joined this church and they loved on me and they helped me and they, they, you know, they they reached out to me. They formed a support group. I needed that. My life became better. But here's the problem with these testimonies, and this is a problem with Christian testifying. Well, it's not all about your personal experience. It's not all about that. See, because if you say, well, when I became a Christian, let me tell you how my life changed. Well, they say, well, let me tell you how my life changed when I became a Mormon. Well, now who's right? See, we got to go beyond our testimonies and we have to go to the truth of God's Word. You know, when I became a Christian, my eyes were open to who God is. The God of truth. The creator of heaven and earth. 
I became aware that God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. I became aware that even our Lord Jesus suffered as a man. Our Lord was tempted truly by the devil. He was not only tempted by the devil personally that he might forsake his father's will, but he was also tempted in the suffering that he experienced. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Our Lord suffered there. And he fell down on the earth and he prostrated himself before his father and he cried out to his father and he said, Oh Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass before me. And the Bible tells us that he sweat as great drops of blood. That's suffering. And Jesus did not say, Oh, if my life could be wonderful, I'd believe in the Father. He drank the cup of suffering because that's what pleased his Father. And that's what he came to do. Our Lord Jesus spoke to the church and he said, See, Paul, he's my servant. I have ordained that he suffer for my namesake. I've ordained that he suffer for my glory. Hear what he has to say. Listen to him. Now, brothers and sisters, there's something, there's something wrong with these testimonies that only focus upon how good my life now is. I think it can be deceiving. Because if we're looking for the easy way out, if we're looking for the comfortable path, if we're looking for that comfortableness where we don't really have to agonize or worry or suffer, then I'm afraid that we're not talking about the same faith or the same God or the same Christianity. And we need to be aware of it. It is possible that we can be deceived, but it's also a problem. What happens when you are deceived? Look at the problems that spring up in your life if you're deceived. If you hold to certain ideas that are wrong and contrary to the character and nature of God, what will that lead you to do? If you think God will wink or approve of your sin in order to justify your sinning, you change the character and nature of God, you take the love of God and you change it and you're like a Mr. Potato Head. You just morph it and change it and you say, well, this is the God that I love and loves me and you completely change what God's love really is. You change the grace of God. You change the mercy of God. You change the long-suffering of God. You change God. God is nothing more than Plato, and you change God in order to justify your sin. That's deception. That's the outworking of deception. Well, let's look at this. So it's a problem. It's a problem. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what I ask you now. I ask you to consider, are there some people deceived yeah, we can be deceived. We can deceive ourselves in thinking we're Reformed Christians and that makes me safe. It doesn't. I can tell you that Richard Baxter taught 
a series of sermons that Richard Baxter was an, a Puritan, an English Puritan, several hundred who lived several hundred years ago, who wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. And the book was instrumental in training many preachers in sort of pastoral, in pastology and, or shepherdology how pastors ought to shepherd and tend to the flocks. And he said, you know, there's going to be a lot of preachers wake up in hell. A lot of preachers are going to wake up in hell. They can preach the gospel and preach it accurately. They can tell sinners to turn to Jesus Christ and to repent of their sins. They can tell sinners that they need to flee from their condition to Jesus Christ who is their uh, inviting refuge for them. And if they do that, they will secure for themselves everlasting life by the grace of God, not by their works. And they go right to hell themselves because they never turn to Jesus. And Paul in the pastoral epistles and preaching to Timothy, he said, now Timothy, make sure you understand this and make sure you do this. Make sure you preach and teach in a way that saves yourself and your congregation. Believe these things. Be passionate about these things. Understand that when you preach the word of life, you're preaching about the soul, the condition of the souls of men and families, daughters and sons. But don't be deceived. Just because we have a church doesn't secure our salvation in Jesus Christ. We must, we must go to the very core of true religion. The very core of true religion, James tells us, is a relationship with God. A relationship. That's why James brings up faith. That's why James brings up that our God is sovereign and He's watching over us and He has, he has ordained these things to be and they are and He has ordained these circumstances to challenge and expand and to broaden our faith and to build us up in our faith. That's why James calls us to pray and ask God for wisdom while we have a relationship Doctrine is vital, it's essential, it is important, and it's only important because the God that we love, adore, and serve, and believe in has revealed Himself, and in that revelation it is called truth. It's called the Word of God. It's called the light of the world. Light dispels darkness. Light dispels stupidity. Light dispels ignorance. Light dispels deception. If we are not spending time reading and understanding the word of life, the, the, the probability of your own deception is extremely high. If not guaranteed. Because what are you going to what, do? What's your center point? What's your center point? If the Word of God is not your, your, your stake in the ground that you're tied to, 
If the Word of God is not the starting point and place of your thinking about anything in this life, what, then, then what's the probability of you straying from the center point? Very high, if not guaranteed. I hear it over and over and over and I hear it from other ministers of other denominations. It's, this is not something that just belongs solely to the Presbyterians. It's not. But listen to me. I hear constantly what's the one thing that people are agonizing and suffering over is an ignorant church. And an ignorant church is an easily deceived church. You look back with me at James chapter 1. What do you think they were deceived about? Why does James go from verse 16 to 17 and correct their opinion and view of God? Does he not? Verse 17, let every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Right there in verse 17, he does what? He points out God's immutability, God's unchangeableness. God's generosity. God is not only a giving God, but what kind of gifts has God given to you? Has He not given you faith to believe? How could you believe in a God that you have not seen if God didn't give you the faith to believe it? Oh, oh, Pastor, oh, I'm strong. I believe this book. I believe this Bible. Whatever this Bible says, you would not believe this book in one sentence if you did not have saving faith. Now, what I mean by believing, I mean by believing it and doing it. If you're not doing the Word, you don't believe the Word. That's part of the deception. Now listen to me. I want you to listen. Listen to your pastor. Because pastors are a gift. Good pastors are a gift. The point that James is making is you need to be correct about who God is. You you, you need to know God. You don't need to accuse him of something he's not guilty of. Blame him for your sin. You need to understand who he is and what's he, what, what is he like. You need to understand that God is unchangeable. Why is the unchangeableness of God? Well, look, look back in history. God doesn't change. God has always concerned himself with the sinful. God is always, what happened when Adam and Eve strayed? God immediately comes to their aid and does what? He calls them to himself. Adam, where art thou? Why are you hiding? God did not hide himself. Adam hid himself. Why? Because he was deceived about who God is. He was deceived. Satan had tricked them. They had believed a lie. And now they were developing ideas and concepts about God that were not true. 
And there's a lot of people just there's a lot of people living around us that think God is going to accept them because of who they are. And he's not. He's not. That's the reality. See, that's why we ought to love people and tell them the truth. Don't love people to hell. Don't let people redefine love. Get your definition of love from God, who is love. I want to say some more. I want to be mindful of our time. So he deals with this idea of every perfect gift. Now, let me just deal with that idea. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. What's a perfect gift? Well, first of all, your faith is absolutely perfect in overcoming trials. Your faith that God gives you is perfect in following, you know, in going through a trial. Your faith is made for that. It's perfect for that. The Word of God is perfect gift for you to take and apply to your life so that you may know what to do, so you may know what to think, so you can know how to respond. The Word of truth, your faith. Then God gives you a church to teach you, to correct you, to aid you, to encourage you, to help you, to come along beside you and hold you up when you need to be held up. These gifts that God gives us are perfect for living a life that's filled with trials and temptations. My point is, God has not forsaken you in your trial. God has never left. If anyone's left, it's you. It's me. God has never left. He's the center point. He's the firm foundation. He's the rock that doesn't move in the storm or the rain. He's the one that stays true and steadfast in all times of darkness. If we want to know what to think and what to do, we must come back to the rock. We must come back to the Word. We must come back to the truth. Look at what James says in the next verse. He says in the exercise, verse 18, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Now let's just deal with that idea there. This Word of the truth is the Gospel. It's the teaching of the Word. It, it's, 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 the, it's the light in the darkness. Okay? There is a reason the world scoffs at the Word of God. There is a reason the Word mocks any who believe in the Word of God. There's a reason that the Word, that the world has an extreme, profound hatred of the Word of God. You want to know what that is? Because they hate God. And to hate God is to lash out at His Word. It's to lash out at His truth. It's to lash out what He said. It's to lash out what He has revealed. That's how they lash out at God. They can't touch God. But they can lash out at His Word. They can mock it. They can ridicule it. They can burn it. They can outlaw it. But they can't change it. And they can never, never get rid of it. Because our Lord Jesus taught us that not one jot nor tittle will fall. Heaven and earth 
will fall away, but my word will last forever. Do you know when we talk about the immutability of God, we talk about no shifting shadow and variation, no shadow of turning. You know what? Other nations and other pagans and other false religions have tried to get rid of the word of God. Has it happened? The Bible is the number one selling book in this world for a reason. God's word is going to stand forever. And when we stand before God, we're going to stand before God according to his what? Word. That center point that we must all have to do with, right? So anyway, now let's look at this um, relationship that we have with God to this bare profession, That's what James is dealing with, this relationship. That is, we can be deceived about having a relationship with God. We don't pray. We don't read His Word. Well, we do profess Him, so it's a bare profession, but it doesn't have any substance to it. Now, James wants to deal with that. Two things James deals with in chapter 2, and we're not there yet, but I just want to point them out. James recognizes that obedience versus observance is a problem. It's a problem. Relationship versus bare profession. Which one do you have? Secondly, obedience versus observation. That is, uh, observance. We can come in. We can take the Lord's Supper. We can pray. We can lift our hands. We can cry when the song touches our hearts. We can do all these things. We can even feel guilty. But we have no relationship with God. Why? Because we don't plan to go out and obey His Word. If, and see, that John tells us in chapter 2, that's the litmus test. The litmus test. That's, that's, that's the test. That's the, that how do you, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Turn with me. Well, let, let's think about this. Self, third point. Self-deception is the cause of uh, self-deception. What causes or fosters this sin? That is, what fosters self-deception? Hard times. Hard times foster self-deception. That's what James is dealing with, right? He's dealing with the dispersia. He's dealing with those Christian Hebrews that have been spread abroad. This was a congregation James was familiar with. He was their pastor at one time. Now they've been spread abroad. And guess what they're, they're tempted to do? They're tempted to blame God for their difficulties and hardships, losing their income, losing their houses, losing their lands, losing their comfortable way of living. Hard times is fertile ground for Satan to come and whisper, my dear sister, in your ear and say, do you really deserve this? Satan loves hard times because he knows How much we love good times. He knows how much we love being comfortable. He knows how much we love ease of living. Ease of making money. Ease of spending money. Ease of the ability to to do and to enjoy everything that we want to do. He knows this and he comes to us and he says, You don't deserve this. You would never do this. You are righteous as rain. But look what God's done. Hard times. 
How many people have you come in contact with that in hard times fall away from God? And now a lot of times they fall away in the, under the pretense of, I'm a Christian, I don't need all these things out here. I'll just have me, me and Jesus. And James says, deceived, deceived. You have been led astray. Secondly, false religion. Now, false religion. I, and, and again, these are, well, in fact, look at Revelation chapter 2. False religion. Now, this isn't false religion. The church in Thyatira is not a false church. It is a true church. But something has come into the true church, and that is false teaching. So this, my idea of false religion here is broader than just simple like Mormonism or Jehovah Witness. It is, it is false doctrine. False doctrine. Well, look at what eighteen verse eighteen says. And the angel of the church of Thyatira, right, the Son of God, who has who has eyes like a flame of fire, he sees everything. And his feet are like burnished bras. He can stamp out error. I know your deeds. I know your, and your love and faith and service and perseverance that your deeds of late are greater than the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now I'm just going to make this application and move on. How much false teaching has entered into the true church where things are taught? It's okay to be gay. It's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to commit adultery. You know, God will forgive you. It's okay to just divorce over no reason at all. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is what could be said about them. It's the teaching of Jezebel. In a spiritual sense, leading my children astray to commit acts of immorality. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now Jesus is teaching his disciples and um, when he warns them of this. Look at verse 22. Or look at verse 23. And then if anyone says to you, now he's speaking to his disciples, he says, listen, when people come to you and they say these words, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. False, this is false religion. False religions give the, 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 this fake Christ, the fake, fake eternal life, this fake living. And people can believe it and buy into it and can be completely deceived and go straight to hell. Turn to Matthew 7. I'm going to show it to you. Matthew 7. This is false experiences. People trusting in their experiences over the Word of God. People who say, you know what, I've had this light shown to me. I heard this voice speaking from the clouds. I was walking through the woods and there was this, this awful presence. I know it was God. Well, listen to what Jesus says in chapter 7. Look down here in verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Let's stop there. Jesus is, Jesus is recognizing they've had all of these experiences. But what's the problem with these experiences? They are not based upon the truth. They're based solely upon their own deception of the truth. Listen to what he says. Next verse tells us everything we need to know. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And you look in your Bibles, the next phrase. But he who what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the reality? The reality is, look, don't you trust in your own experiences? Because I can tell you this, if you cast out demons, you're deceived. Because it can only be by the hand of the devil, and the devil cannot be against himself. That's what Jesus said when they accused him of being Beelzebub. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The devil doesn't cast out the devil. See, they, they were deceived by these experiences. They were, they were so enthralled by the experience, they had no interest in the Word of God. None. And they had no obedience. And because they had no obedience, they had no saving faith. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at false doctrine here. What happens when a Christian, or what happens when a professing Christian... Miss is inaccurate about themselves. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, how many times, let me ask you this. How much time do you spend repenting of your sins? Do you sin? You sure? Because John says, look, if you don't think you've sinned, if you, somehow you don't see a need to repent of your sins, you deceive yourself. The truth's not in you. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he's deceived and he's deceiving others with his lies. You see their obedience, don't you? Let me mention these other things quickly so that we can have, again, a full-orbed understanding of this deception. Self-deception, brothers and sisters, um, is uh, not only, uh, what do you call it, uh, the causes, we've looked at the causes are those, those things that foster deception. You can think about hard times, false religion, false experiences, and false doctrine. But there are other things that cultivates that cultivate self-deception in God's people. And let me mention just a few of them. Number one, it's the, it's the world we live in. It's the culture around us. We call it pop culture. It's the, it's the philosophies of the day. It's the education system. It's the, it's the education system that promotes falsehoods. Um, it's the indoctrination of the education system, not education proper. 
It's indoctrination. Where you have a system of atheism being imposed upon those who profess to believe in Christ and they're told that that what they believe about the Bible can't be trusted. It's an old book written by a bunch of old white men. Who cares what they think? They don't live in the 21st century. God understands your situation. God knows you. He doesn't care about these things. The culture is always pressing, pressing, pressing for Christians to change their mind about the truth. For Christians to change their views about God as it revealed in the Bible. They want to redefine evil. Evil is not sin and the breaking of God's commandments. Evil is the intoleration of the community. For example, if we want to tolerate an adulterous group, then speaking against adultery is sin. If we want to tolerate immorality uh, par excellence, you know, I mean the, 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 the fullness of immorality, well then speaking out against one's, one's immorality is sin. They redefine sin. They redefine what it means to believe in God. That's why you can have the rappers and the country music singers and politicians say God bless and it means nothing. Because God just accepts everything and every belief, right? Right? No. Wrong. It's the effect that music has upon our thinking. It's the effect that movies influence us. Well, they're not so bad. Movies are sermons. And they do teach a theme, a philosophy, an idea. And we have to be, listen, I'm not saying not watch movies. I'm saying be smart about it. I'm saying filter it with your biblical worldview. Be able to call out wrong. Be able to say that's virtuous. And let's be quite honest. The one who believes in God, oftentimes the villain. The one who holds to a set of immorality is the fuddy-duddy, the stick-in-the-mud guy, woman. The one who's clueless and out of touch. When it's exactly the opposite of what God says. God says they are in touch. They're in touch with me. And they're in touch with eternity. Secondly, entertainment-driven churches instead of truth-driven churches. Churches that focus on entertainment, making the people feel happy, welcome, and good, and it stops there, these churches foster self-deception. You need to be a member of a good Bible-preaching, teaching church, a a church that holds not only to the truth, but it's going to hold you accountable to the truth. Entertainment-driven churches foster wrong feelings and emotions about God and the truth. Because what matters is how you feel, not what you think and believe and and convicted about. I'll tell you this. People can make a decision. Well, I go to this church and it feels good and it sings the songs I like and it does all of these things, but they're really weak on the teaching. But here's another church that's real strong on the teaching. that The music is not as good as I'd like it to be. Which church would you choose? Most people are going to choose the church that makes them feel good and sings the songs they like over the church with the truth to the detriment of their own souls which fosters self-deception. Thirdly, now this is more along churches like ours. 
Churches that are not passionate about the truth. Churches with a low view of God. How do you have a low view of God? You keep his word. Tend to Bible studies. Hmm? Promote them. Live them. Encourage others. See, a low view of God is what this whole world is suffering from. And guess where it starts? It starts with the people of God. What did Jeremiah, what did God tell Jeremiah? You're wrong about the temple, temple, temple. You're wrong about me. You have made a wrong assessment. Now I'm coming in judgment against you. See, it's not really about God. You come to church. You come to church either because you have to or you want to because it's something that makes you feel better. But it's not about growing. It's not about being passionate about God and His attributes and knowing and trusting in Him. It's not about the truth of God's Word. That's why you don't promote it. You don't talk about it. Churches that are not passionate about the truth that have a low view of God are churches where self-deception will be a reality. Because if the pastor or the session or the membership isn't passionate about the truth, eager to talk about it, wanting to talk about it, then guess what you get? You get cold. You get cold and sidetracked. Three things we need to overcome self-deception. I'm going to mention them quickly. Three things. Now listen to this. Truth. Truth defeats self-deception. We are only self-deceived when we believe a lie. When we trust in something that's not accurate. When we believe in and, and trust in that which is not true. Truth. Buy it, keep it, defend it, desire it, and hoard it, the truth. What did the book of Proverbs teach us? Hey, what's better than gold and silver? Truth. Truth. Truth about God. James deals with that, doesn't he? God is immutable. He's unchangeable. You know what? What you believe about the Word of God today and it's true, guess what? It's going to be true to your children. It's going to be true for your grandchildren. It's going to be true for your great, 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 great grandchildren. There's no need. And what is the one thing the world wants to do? Yeah, but that was the way they understood the Bible back then. But we see, we see the Bible in a whole new light. We want to reinterpret the Bible. Deception. What is true must always. If it's true, it's always going to be true. What is true for you is true for the person in China. What is true in the Word of God to you is true for the person in Africa, Asia, uh, UK, Russia. It's true for everybody in every generation, in every nation, under every form of government. What is true and required of God for you is true of everyone. Truth about the gospel, the gospel does change lives. Make no mistake about it. The gospel takes someone who would love sin and now loves God. Those are contrary. Someone who loves sin practices sin. Someone who loves God obeys God. It's the truth about the salvation. Notice what James says in verse 18 where he talks about you are the first fruits. 
What God is going to do is amazing. You are the first. James is saying you're the first fruits of what God's going to do. What an amazing work that God's going to do on the earth. You're the first fruits of it. The first generation Christians. What, I, what God's going to do with you and, and, and prove in you and through you, God's going to show you. You're the first fruits. You're mine. You belong to God. And He's going to show the world how, how you bring Him glory and how He enhances your life with truth and grace and mercy. Secondly, it's not truth, but it's humility. You've got to be humble. What's humility and truth have to do with one another? <laughs> Well, what does James say in chapter 1? When a man looks into the Word of God and forgets what he sees and goes off and and forgets about it, that's nothing. That's deception. He deceives himself. Humility is what? Submission to the teaching of the Word of God. Thirdly, obedience. True obedience, brothers and sisters, is a sign of faith, real faith, true faith, saving faith. Obedience is a sign of your love for God. You can't just say, I love God. You have to keep His Word. And if you are not keeping His Word, then you are deceived. Obedience is the sign of true religion. You know what's interesting about the world's religion and falsehoods and all their philosophies and everything else? You can do one thing today and another tomorrow and nobody's ever going to judge you. (laughs) You can believe whatever you want to about God as long as it's not the truth. Whatever it is. Whatever that is. But you know what? True... Obedience is the sign of true religion. Obedience to God's moral standards and moral rules and laws. You know what? That, that, that defined walk and path, guess what? Never changes. Never changes. See, the world doesn't care really about obedience. They just care about deception. Now, brothers and sisters, I pray that this message has been helpful. We are all subject to being deceived. And we're subject for similar but different reasons, aren't we? Each of us have our own, our own bag of sins we have to contend with. But how we respond this morning to the message is going to be key in helping us see whether or not we are deceived or not. Oh, let's keep true religion alive here in your home. Let's be teachable. Let's be humble. Let's be obedient. Let's exercise saving faith. Let's correct wrong views of God. Let's delve into the Word of God and its understanding. Let's give ourselves over to the King of glory. And let's see what He'll do. Let's pray.